Well, as we uh, look at this morning's message here from Philippians chapter 2, this is one of those uh, passages right after we had went through the mind of Christ together that really brings us back to our responsibilities uh, within the church. And, of course, we, we went through uh, recently these two messages on, on the mind of Christ and the mind of God. And, and today, we're going to go back to our responsibility as believers. Remember, there was a little bit of dissension going on in the church at Philippi, a little bit of bickering, a little bit of complaining going on. And uh, Paul, of course, wanted to help them get past that. And... Um, one of the ways that bickering and fighting and complaining can affect a church or even believers is it, it causes their testimony to be lessened, right, and the, those around them. It, um, you could say it, it dims the light, so to speak. And as we, as we think of um, Scripture and, of course, even from Jesus himself, right, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what we're called uh, to do, to be a light unto the world, and, and that responsibility is there. And of course, we don't want to see that, that light dimmed. We want to make sure that light shines brightly out into the world and that we're not hindering God's work. And so that's what we want to consider this morning as we approach this passage from Philippians 2, beginning of verse 12. And uh, I'll read aloud if you could follow along with me in your Bibles. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning you would Cause our hearts to be tender toward your instruction. Father, may we examine any areas of complaint or bickering. Father, any murmurings or disputings that are coming up and popping up and dimming the light of Jesus Christ, preventing it from shining clearly forth from our lives. Father, we pray that today we would... Uh, consider the importance of unity around Jesus Christ. Father, that we would seek to be a witness and a testimony to those around us in the coming week. And Father, also that we would be an encouragement to others who have poured into our lives and ministered unto us. Father, we, we thank you for those who love us and care for us, who seek our good. We thank you for the model of, of Paul, as one who loved this church and loved its people, and, and Father, who, who desired to, to see their ministry be effective, as effective as possible for the name of Jesus Christ, 
not, not so much for his own glory, but for your glory, God. May we too have that type of testimony here. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, the very beginning of uh, this passage in, in these first two verses, we, we see this topic here of work out your own salvation. Now that's a topic that has um, caused some angst, I would say, among biblical scholars in terms of how that works out. But we're, we're going to consider this section and, and this passage. And remember, we, we talked about all these things in relation to the mind of Christ, but this topic, this discussion came back all the way before that, back in chapter one of Philippians. And so let's look back all the way to chapter one, verse 27, where it, it says the following, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then it goes on there from there and, and discusses what that looks like. But the, the instruction, the teaching here that Paul's putting out is the responsibility for those Philippian believers to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. And, and he gives instruction about that. Of course, in the middle, we have this great instruction and teaching about the mind of Christ. And that helps, doesn't it? <laughs> Let the mind of Christ be in you. That helps in terms of living a, a life worthy of the gospel. But now we're going back to further teaching on this original topic from all the way back in verse 27. You know, Paul is returning to this need for harmony and, and living a life that is harmonious with other believers, one that is not uh, dealing with uh, dissension and fighting and bickering and, and all of these things. And so from this, we have some very specific teaching, some teaching now on what this looks like to work out your own salvation. What, what does that look like? Back to verse 12 now in Philippians 2, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's uh, remember that instruction there, right? At the very beginning, uh, how does he talk to these Philippian believers? My beloved. Right? This is personal. This is very, very personal. And that has been the, the tone of this entire letter. This is a, a very personal letter where Paul has poured out his own soul. He has poured out his own challenges and own difficulties as, as he sits in that Roman jail cell. He, he has poured out about the pressures and the temptations that have been on him and how God has yet sustained him through it all. And, and in the midst of that, he has poured out his love for this church in Philippi, that they remain strong in the gospel and not allow fighting or bickering to get in the way. And, and so from the very beginning, he shows his love for them and reminds them of it and also reminds them of their obedience. They have obeyed what God has commanded them. They have, they have carried out what God has called them to do historically, and that has been their pattern and example and manner of life. Right, as you have always obeyed. Now that's a, uh, that, that obviously doesn't mean that they were perfect, right? They certainly weren't perfect but their pattern of life was one of obedience. And 
if, if we think about that this morning, boy, what, a, what an incredible testimony that, that a church would have that pattern of life being called out of one of obedience. Would you say that this morning is, is true of your own personal life before the Lord? Would you say that my pattern of life is one that is of obedience? Could Paul speak of me and say, as you have always obeyed, and then go on from there? What incredible testimony, what incredible account uh, to even have someone suggest that, right, of, of your life or the life of a church. This, uh, this idea, this, this concept here, uh, puts on display... Um, not only Paul's affection for them and their long-term relations, not only their long-term obedience in regard to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how they lived it out, but it also reminds them of the way that God is continuing to work in them and change them and help them to grow in obedience for his good pleasure. It, it is reminding them of, of how God is working and sanctifying them right now in their lives. This uh, question comes up, what does that mean, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? And of course, uh, we, we know the, the passages, we know and, and understand. Let's just look ahead to verse 13. Verse 13 there closes with the following, for it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So two things here, right? End of verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Ahead in verse 13, it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so the question comes up, how do we work that out, right? Paul's commanding them, work out your own salvation. God, at the same time, is being described as working in them both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so how, how does that work? How do we come about the, to that place? You know, the, the heart of this concept comes down to our understanding of salvation. And so I want to, to, want to go back to this word and this, this concept for just a minute. We know from Scripture very clear verses in regard to salvation. Verses like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So clearly, salvation, coming to Christ for salvation, is is the work of God, and it is not man's work, right? It, it is not our work in regard to that. Romans, um, sorry, verse 9 there, not of works, listening, man should boast. Romans 8.30, moreover whom he did predestinate, them also he called, and whom he called he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So right there, who, who's doing the work? He did predestinate, he called, he justified, he also glorified. All of that work speaking of God, right? That's what he's doing there. Even Old Testament, Jonah 2, 9. Salvation is of the Lord, right? Salvation is of the Lord. Speaking of the Ninevites who turned to God for salvation there. What we talk about here, when we come to Christ for salvation, there's nothing that we can do to earn the salvation of God. There is no work that we can perform that would make us good enough. There is no act that we could perform to make it take place. Salvation is of the Lord. Right? Jonah 2.9 is, is very clear. There's a word for this, theological term, 
monergism. Mono, right? Mono, alone, ergon is work. One works, right? Who's doing the work? God is doing the work. And, and so when we're talking about coming to Christ in salvation, all the work is of the Lord's. He does the work. Christ died on the cross. I didn't have to go there. Right? He shed his blood. Even if I had shed my blood, it wouldn't be good enough. The, the only work that saves is Jesus' work. What do I do? I, I just look at what Jesus did and say, I believe. Right? That, that, is, that is, is how that, you know, the, the work itself, the work of salvation, belongs to God. And, and so what are we talking about here? And, and I, I like to put this in a chart just to kind of help us visualize this and understand Right? Uh, when someone comes to Christ, they, they pass from death into life, right? So the D there, um, that's death. The L, that section is life. The G, just so you know what that is, that's glory, right? So that's heaven. And, and so the, the arrow, the white arrow going across there represents our lives. So if someone on that white arrow goes from death unto life, there's a point in time transaction that takes place. That's that first arrow that you see up there on the left side, right? So that first arrow there is describing what happens at that point in time. This is when someone becomes a believer. This is when someone gets saved. This is when someone is born again, right? That's a point in time transaction. That's when someone goes from the one who believed not to becoming the one who believes. That is when someone goes... Um, from being condemned already to not condemned. And that's a point-in-time transaction. That is a line, a point in time. You, you, can't, you can't straddle it. You're on one side or the other. And, and there is no, um, you know, progression within there. You're, you're either unsaved or you're saved. All right, you're... 50% saved? No, that's not really a thing, right? That, that doesn't work. 75, there, there is no such thing. You're unsaved or you're saved. You either believe not or you believe, right? One or the other. And, and there is no in-between there. And how does that take place? Well, God did all the work, right? God did all the work. Jesus went to the cross and he died for the sins of the world. And I think we understand that, right? Salvation is not of works. We, we preach that, we declare that. And so when we come to a passage like what we're looking at here in Philippians 2, where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the, the question comes up, well, what, what is that talking about? What is that talking about? Well, let's look at just a couple verses here. James 1, verse 22 says, but be you doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving your own self. So there's a responsibility for believers to hear the word and then be doers of it. First John chapter 2, describing here what true believers um, look like versus unbelievers. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected Hereby know that we know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. What's the instruction here? Well, for a believer, we have a responsibility 
to walk in the way that Jesus walked. We, we have responsibility to follow after him. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Another responsibility for the believer. Grow and change and become more like Jesus Christ. What's going on here? Is, is God working in that process? Yes, he's working. Right? There is no doubt about it. God is at work. Do we have a responsibility to do work in that process as well? Yes, we do. Right? This, is, this is a term that's called synergism. It just means that the two are, are working together here. It's Philippians. Uh, well, let's, let's look at this slide once again. It's a process that takes place. We pass from death into life. That's the first arrow. But if you look and consider that area under the life there, right, this, this area right here in the center, as we move from when we're born again toward when we physically die here on the earth, where Jesus returns, but, but as we look at that section, there's a process, something that takes place, and we call that progressive sanctification. It begins with, we grow and change and become more like Jesus Christ. The, the, the idea is that we become more holy. Now, how does that take place? Well, God is at work in lives and hearts, and with that, we are yielding to his working, right? We are in essence, seeking to be good soldiers. We are to be obedient to him. We are to follow after. And, and, and so the idea isn't so much that God is doing it for us, but rather that he is empowering it. And we have a responsibility to respond to his guidance, his direction, and to do the work which he has called us to. We have responsibility to be in obedience. Now, you say, but yeah, but that said, work out your own salvation. Well, one of the things that Scripture does in responding to the different things on this chart, we often will use the term salvation to describe when we're born again, and we'll use the term sanctification to describe when we're growing and changing. And that helps us to keep things a little bit more tidy, maybe to know in our mind what we're talking about. But Scripture actually uses the term salvation to describe this entire process. In fact, Salvation is described as, perhaps sometimes we'll use a theological term, initial salvation. Uh, and then this process here of, of the progressive aspect of it, and then final salvation here. But, but the concept being, right, what happens? When, when I trust Christ to save me, I'm changed, I'm born again. Right? I, I know that my destiny is secure. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm going to spend all eternity with Jesus Christ. But during life, I will grow and change to become more like Jesus Christ. It is progressing. But finally, when I'm with Jesus, right, when this body passes away and I'm in his presence, I'm in glory, I'm glorified, and now I'm without sin. Now, Two parts of that process, the arrows there, nothing I can do for those. That's God's work, right? That is entirely his work. I cannot, 
I cannot uh, die on the cross for my own sins, right? I cannot shed my own blood. I, I am sinful. My sacrifice would never be good enough. It truly would be, as Isaiah says it, filthy rags. Now, during this life, I have a responsibility to obey. I have a responsibility to obey and, and, and seek to be more like Jesus Christ. It's not my power doing it. It's God working, right? It's God at work. But I have to yield. I have to not quench the Spirit. I have responsibilities to listen to the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit so you not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God gives me those commandments because I have a responsibility to, to, to do the works of the ministry, the works He's called me to do. Okay, and so that's what, what we go through in that process. Now, at the end, when I die, guess what? I can't glorify myself. I don't have that power. That, that work, that, that is all of God. And um, we, we read that, that description of that all the way back in Romans 8.30, right? He did predestinate, he justified, he called, he justified, he also glorified. That's the work of God the Father. He does that. Right? I, I can't make myself without sin. Right? In this life, even if I seek to yield to the Spirit to the best of my ability, I will still be a sinner. But, but God will complete the work. He completes the work of salvation. And so when we're talking here of working out your own salvation, what are we talking about? We're talking about what we call progressive sanctification, this, this area under the L, the time when we're here on earth. And if you're a believer today, that's where you are right now. And so if you're wondering, well, who is this, who is this passage for here in Philippians 2? If you're a believer today, it is for you, the instruction is for you. It's for somebody in this exact stage of life that you are, you are in. And, and so as Philippians 2.13 uh, describes it here, uh, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He is at work in us and, and we are yielding to him. We are seeking to walk according to the Spirit. We're seeking to follow after him and obey him. And so that's why Paul gives the commandments. Hey, just as you've obeyed in the past, you keep on doing it now, right? You keep it up. You, you keep on, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You grow and change into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And, and how do we do that? How does that, that, that's the theory behind it. What does it practically look like? Well, let's consider the practice now, right? Let's consider what it actually looks like. And it starts here in verse 14 with a, a command that is, is all-inclusive, right? Anytime you see that all pop up in Scripture, you just got to pause for a moment and pay attention. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's a little bit scary, isn't it? Let's just park there for a minute. Let's say it one more time. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Has something come to your mind yet where you failed in that one? If you're not there yet, let me say it one more time. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. I mean, my list is getting longer every time I read it. I, I don't know about you, but, but it, you know, the, the, that is an all-inclusive command. right? That, there is no ambiguity there. Everything, all things, whatever you do, without murmurings and disputings. Now, I don't know if I could ever get myself to this mindset, but, you know, 
uh, I think most of us are familiar with complaining, right? I think most of us are familiar with that concept. And if, if I could get myself to the mindset to just think, you know, all these murmurings, all these complaints, that's all bad, right? That's always bad. Because I should be doing all things without this. Because I, I don't know how your mind works. My mind works with, uh, you know, maybe I really should be complaining here a little bit. You know, this really is bad. You know what I mean? We like to justify it. Do you, do you ever justify it? You know, it, if anybody else was in this situation, they'd be complaining too, right? You, you know, we come up with all this justification. There's no room for justification in this verse, right? There is no room to justify sin. Do all things without murmuring and disputings, right? With, without complaining, that's, that's the idea here. And, and of course, what comes to mind is back in Exodus 16, 12, when we think about the children of Israel, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them, saying, At even ye, at even ye shall eat flesh. And in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. What happened here? God answered their murmurings. He gave them food. But he wasn't saying it was okay. Right? In fact, we see the various aspects in which God is judging Israel for their grumblings in the midst of the wilderness. I still remember a uh, sermon that I heard one time, and every time uh, grumbling was coming up in the passage, the, the pastor was preaching, made us all say, murmur, murmur, murmur. And, and you just kind of said over and over again. <laughs> and I mean, even the way the word sounds, it kind of, you know, conveys the idea of what murmur, murmur, murmur is all about. I mean, you, you just get it just from the way that the word's sounding. And that, that grumbling that Israel was going through against God and Moses in that day, that would be, uh, that would be judged by God. You know, there, the grumbling here, the second part of, of this verse, uh, the disputings takes it even a step further. This now is not just complaining, but it's, it's this, this disputes that, that come into place. It's the, it's the when it goes a step further and you say, well, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, that, that type of thing. Um, disputes, controversies uh, over things that really don't need to be disputed, right? Disputes over things that, that, that truly are not worthy of our time or attention. Disputes over things where sometimes we want our own way. Disputes where we want things done our own particular way because it would please us if it's that way. Right? They, these things are not worthy of our time and attention. And what, why would we do this? Why would we even bring this up? Why is this so important? that we do all things without murmurings and disputings, that the apostle would write to the church at Philippi and bring this to their attention? Well, because it has to do with our influence and our character. Looking here at verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, 
without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. What's going on? This reminder from Paul here. You have a responsibility to be a light. You have a responsibility, verse 15 puts it there, right? You shine as lights in the world at the end. And, and if, if you are to shine as a light in the world, you know how you dim that light? Murmurings and disputings. You ever had that um, moment where you meet somebody and you think, you know, they might be a believer. Have you ever had that type of situation where, where you're somewhere and you think, boy, they, they might be a believer? You know who I never think that about? The people who are complaining. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I can't think of one instance where I heard of somebody just complaining and complaining about stuff, and I thought, you know, they might be a believer. Now, maybe I should be predisposed to think that sometimes because of the example of so many believers in that area, but, but that's, that's not what we think of when we think of believers, right? Or, or you hear the lady arguing with customer service at Walmart or something, right? And, and they're going off on them about whatever the, the thing was, and uh, they're, they're fighting. I, I don't know that I've ever sat back in the way that it usually happens at customer service at Walmart and said, well, I'm sure she's a believer, right, in the midst of that time. <laughs> what, what's going on? If we want the world to see our light, right, then the way that we handle things, the way that we interact with others, needs to be such that Christ is on display. And if you want to dim that light, if you want to hide that light, one of the easiest ways to do it is with murmuring and disputes, complaining and fighting about things. That's one of the easiest ways to do it. One of the fastest ways you can dim that light is, is with complaining and fighting about things. Paul says it's important enough that it shouldn't happen, period, in the life of a believer. Do all things without this. It, it should not be. These little disputes, these little factional fighting, these, these personal things where you are, you are uh, seeking your own way shouldn't take place. These little things where you're, you're moaning and complaining because you don't like something shouldn't take place. Shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be in the life of a believer. Why? The reason that you have to observe this command is because if you don't, as you're in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, as you're in the midst of worldly people around you who do not know the Lord, let's stop right there. Worldly people around you who do not know the Lord. How often do you hear... Folks, speaking of worldly people around you who do not know the Lord, and the next thing is how bad, how terrible, fill it, you know, boy, the world is so terrible. It's so bad. Can you believe these people today? Can you believe they would do that? And I, I just, you know what I mean? You hear all these complaints about the worldly, perverse people around you over and over again, so that the believer who is supposed to be reaching the worldly and perverse people all around you then complains and murmurs about the worldly and perverse people around you, so that the one who knows Christ is now 
the one who is disobeying Christ because he's not doing all things without murmurings and complaining and disputing all around. You, you, you see the issue there? We, we can put on display an unchristian attitude about the very ones who, what, what does Paul want to do for these people? Does he want to complain about how worldly and perverse they are? No, he, he, he is saying in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He said, you're supposed to be the light to them. And you're murmuring and complaining and you're looking just as worldly as they are and they can't even see the difference. They don't look at you and say, wow, look at that believer. Look at what's different in their life. Wow, they have peace in this moment. They're not saying that. Why? Because you're murmuring and complaining. And, and that's what Paul is teaching here. He said, Philippi, you want to be distinct as a church in the city of Philippi? Quit murmuring and complaining. Cut it out. Because your light's getting dim. The more you do it, the less influence you have, the less effect you have for the cause of Christ. And the very ones who you're supposed to reach, now you look like them. And the very ones who sometimes you're complaining about, you're joining them in their behavior and complaint. The influence is weakened. Let's go ahead here. Verse 16. Second part of that verse after we hold forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, if I be offered up upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. It's Paul saying, Philippi, what you do and how you interact with others has the potential to result in eternal joy for those who ministered to you. It's kind of a weird section for a pastor to preach, but Paul didn't have any problem saying it. And what he was saying was this, Philippi, when you do right, I get eternal joy from that. I am excited about that. I, I am rejoicing and overcome, and it won't ever end. When you obey God, and when you don't murmur, and you don't fight, and you reach people for Christ, and you see them discipled and grow and added to the church, I rejoice. And it's a rejoicing that even in the day of Christ, it's one which will continue for all eternity. I don't know fully what that will be like one day, but I can tell you, you know, in this life, I, I have those moments where you look back at people that you, you discipled, you spent time with, you, you worked in the Word with them, and, and you see them growing and changing, and you see them making other disciples, and you're, you're excited about it, and you're just rejoicing about it. I, I understand that aspect of, of what's going on in Paul's life. I also understand the other side of it, right? Those you poured your life into it, and you watch them, and they're, they're living like the world, or, or you know, they've publicly renounced their faith. And, and the, the sorrow that comes from that. And there's a degree here in which Paul is saying, hey, just so you know, what you're doing here, it affects me. <laughs> it affects me too. 
So, so don't just do it for the world. Do it also for me who loves you. Give me reason for joy, for eternal joy. And, and not just for me, but it's also the cause that you have joy and rejoice with me because when we see God working, we rejoice together. See, that's the wonderful thing about Christianity. When we pull together, when we pull in the same direction, when we recognize the biblical cause which God has called us to, and we seek to honor Christ day by day with our lives, without murmuring, without disputing, and, and go through all of these things for his glory, and God works, and people yield, and they say, God, use me. And we rejoice together to the glory of God. You see, that's how churches like the Church of Philippi should function. That's what God has called us to. I challenge you just very simply this morning. Wherever that murmuring and disputing is, confess it, forsake it. Let that light shine brightly in the week ahead for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God. We thank you for this challenge from your word as we consider, Father, that, that you have called us as your people to be those who are a light to the world. And Father, that you've called us to live in a way that doesn't dim that light, but that Jesus shines brightly through us Father, help us to remember that those around us who are lost, that you have called us to be a light to them. Father, help us eradicate murmuring and disputes, selfish disputes from our lives. As we pause just right now, Father, bring to mind those areas that we need to confess and forsake, even at this moment. Father, may we be a light in the world for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.